Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for downloading this episode of Under Consultation. Your support means so much to us. And this episode is brought to you in part by our supporters over at patreon.com/underconsolepod who are currently listening to next week's episode one week early and ad-free, where we find out a little bit more about the Adams Family challenge from this week's show. Join us over at patreon.com/underconsolepod and help support this show. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, coming to you with digitized sounds, digitized graphics, and even digitized smell. And whispering in your ear from the nether regions of Dominic's platform, I am Ash Versus. This episode took place on the 19th of November 1992. The crying game is still number one at the box office. Boys to Men are still kicking it at the top of the charts with End of the Road, and we're one week away from the release of Sonic 2 for the Mega Drive. Indeed. While we're talking of Boys to Men and End of the Road, this is the End of the Road for Boys to Men current time at the top of the charts. I can't remember off the top of my head if they revisit it in the future. We've kind of exhausted what little bits of trivia we have about this song. I guess the one last bit I have is that the song was sung by the cast of A Different World on the series finale in 1993 as two of their characters get ready to leave for Japan. And uh, just to tie it all round, Boys to Men actually sang the theme song for... A different world in their final season. Well, oh, there you go. Well, before we dive into what we've got in the magazines, I can let you know that prior to the release of Sonic 2, another quite big game got released, and it was Fire Pro Wrestling 3 for the Super Nintendo. Man Alive, there's a franchise that lived, died, and now lives again with a immense, legitimate community supporting it across Steam, PlayStation. The only thing missing that I wish we could get is Fire Pro Wrestling World on the Switch. Yeah, totally. It would be amazing, but 
that is a game I've loved since the Super Nintendo. I love Fire Pro Wrestling Me. Yeah, great game. Great, great game. But Ash, what's going on in the magazines? You mentioned we're a week away from Sonic Tuesday. Well, CVG is already there. They've got reviews of Sonic 2 for both the Mega Drive and some consider the superior version on the Master System. Yeah, those people are wrong. Hey, everyone's entitled to an opinion. And some of those opinions are wrong. But you, yeah. Correct. <laughs> so what are the uh, the magazines actually saying about the game now that the reviews for it are starting to come out? Well, you know what? I was a little bit disappointed. Not with the scores. They give the scores exactly what you'd expect. High 90s for both games. But it's only a two-page review for each one. Huh. I'd have expected them to pull out the stops and gone for three or four. Yeah. Maybe that's something that Me Machine Sega will do, and that because CVG has a lot of other games it needs to cover, including Bart's Nightmare, they could only give two pages. But they just go through, to be honest, saying a lot of what we already knew, highlighting the two-player mode, talking about the increase in level size. They don't really tell us anything new, but to be honest, they don't really need to. The hype train for Sonic 2 was real. There's an interesting note regarding Sonic's new friend that appears in the game. Now, he's got a number of names. He's colloquially referred to as Tails, but is otherwise known as Miles. Here, they say that he's named Two Tails. Huh. Now, I'm not going to pass too much comment on this because this only just caught my eye. And last time I commented on something like this was <laughs> Mario Gate, <laughs> the under consultation edition, where we were informed by many people that no, it was called Super Mario Brothers 4, you goddamn heathens. <laughs> and I'm not sure, maybe he was called Two Tails at some point. Who knows? The reviews almost feel just by the book. Yeah. Unless they were going to do something incredible, like give it a bad score. All they need to do is show some pretty screenshots, give their general opinion, and give it the overall scores. For the Mega Drive, graphics 94%, sound 93%, gameplay 94%, value 76%. What? Mm. What? What's wrong with... What? The note from Tim Boone says, the only thing which lets Sonic 2 down slightly is the difficulty. Initially, it's not that much harder than the first game, but things do improve on later stages. It's better than the first game, but not enough to induce an adrenaline overload. Hmm. But should be more than enough to keep everyone happy. There doesn't appear to be much justification for that value. However, they're right, it is a sequel. Yeah, and it is more of the same. It is more of the same. And they say it doesn't look that much radically different to the original. I would disagree. I think Sonic 2 has actually aged a lot better than Sonic 1. Yeah. It feels complete as a Sonic game goes. Sonic Mania, amazing game. We'll leave the bonus stages out of it. <laughs> I don't want to cause your blood pressure to spike, but Sonic Mania has more in common with Sonic 2 than it does Sonic 1. The the Tails thing I thought was quite interesting. In that. I, I, I'm curious to know where that comes from, because I know that Japan were really behind miles per hour, which I'll be honest, I did not get as a joke until way later in the day. And, and it was the it was Sega of America that fought for the name Tails instead, because they thought the pun was very bad. So I'd be very interested to know where this two Tails thing has come from. But as we're sitting here talking, I'm going to just rest my hand up slightly. And I've got a little Tails figure. That just sits Aww. there. Very cute one. It's the 16-bit design. I've got a couple of them. So there's a Sonic one up there. And there's a Knuckles behind me. So I've spread them around around my office. I skipped over the page to take a look at the Master System version because the Master System was a slightly different kettle of fish because due to limitations of the platform, we didn't get the proper split-screen two-player experience. In fact, you had to rescue yeah. Tails. That was the key conceit. 
However, compared to Sonic 1 on the Master System, this is a big step in performance. It looks better, it moves better, it's faster. It is really amazing what they actually managed to get out of the 8-bit machine. And I can see, while I don't agree, why some consider this to be the superior game. And it kind of shows in the overall scores on this because graphics, 94%. Again, comparing it against its peers, Mm -hmm. entirely understandable. Sound, 90%. Mm -hmm. Gameplay, 92%. But value, 91%. Huh. Interesting. Where they say that the most important aspect is the gameplay. And this is an improvement on the first through the sheer speed of the game and the size of the challenge. I did think the idea of rescuing Tails was a right cop-out, but this is an 8-bit machine after all. And what you get with Sonic 2 is the best that can be done with the machine. Top stuff. Tim Boom. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, we are in like a Sonic Boom uh, that is coming to the UK because Sonic 1 was a big hit, but I feel like Sonic 2 really kicked off a huge level of Sonic fandom uh, within the UK. We're getting the release of Sonic the Comic the following year. I think it launches in 93. But not only that, we get like a series of books and, and, and things like that. You know, I've got some of the books up there, things like, you know, Sonic in the Fourth Dimension and some of the Choose Your Own Adventure books, Sonic versus Sonic and the Zone Rangers and things like that. There's like a real big wave of Sonic coming very, very soon. He is going to be a big part of the UK and the video game scene throughout 1993 and 1994. Maybe not on Games Master, but certainly outside of it. Now, if I was on Jeopardy and I was going to pick the category of video game characters least suited for a choose-your-own-adventure book, I would bank some serious money on Sonic the Hedgehog (laughs) being an answer. Like Zelda, perfect sense for a choose-your-own-adventure book. Even Mario with the kind of fantasy world trappings. Yeah, that kind of works. Sonic? Well, I mean, I don't know. Got to read fast? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this might be, this might sway you a little bit on them, but it's not just a choose your own adventure book. It's a choose your own adventure game book because you have to attribute stats to Sonic in various different categories and then roll dice throughout the game to also advance uh, or possibly lose lives and you can collect power-ups along the way. Yeah, but we all know how that works. Fighting fantasy was the same. No <laughs> one carries dice with them. <laughs> That is the one reason why I've really, really enjoyed the fighting fantasy books that have been converted for tablet and phone because the dice mechanic now works in the app so you can play them properly and they've even given you the opportunity to cheat because (laughs) if you don't like the roll of the die, if you shake your phone or your tablet, it causes the dice to jump and you might get some different or better numbers. Amazing. One final note on this issue of CVG though because Sonic 2 is the lead story. It's the big game in review on two separate platforms, but it's not the cover star. Hmm. The cover star is a really wonky looking drawing of Blanca because there's a Street Fighter 2 badge giveaway. (laughs) I found that quite bizarre, although maybe they, I don't know, maybe they went, well, it's Blanca, kind of spiky hair. Eh, (laughs) close enough. That's not Lee Salad, don't know. Right, welcome to Games Master's Offshore Holiday Resort where campers need only pack a joystick, a smile, and a change of underwear to enjoy a full week of premarital bliss. We've got three decidedly better-than-average challenges tonight, so let's go over to Games Master for the first one. Greetings, and welcome to the Games Week. If you enjoyed last week's challenges, I think you will find tonight's three little tables an absolute hoot. First of all, we visit the macabre gothic world of the Adams family. 
To satisfy me, you'll need to enter the portrait gallery, collect $50 signs, then exit the level within two minutes. You'll have three energy hearts at your disposal, and somehow I have a feeling you'll need the lot. See if you can prove me wrong. So we're playing a game that has come up a couple of times in this show because we had it in the review section in episode one of series one. We then had it in the consultation zone in this series and now it's up as a challenge. It's Adam's family on the snares and you've got to collect 50 of the dollar signs and leave the level in order to complete the challenge. And it only gives you three hearts to do this in and Games Master says you're gonna need them, he suspects, because it's not a terribly easy game. No, it's really not. And I've, I've talked about it on this show before that a friend of mine was a big, big fan of this game and we played it together one time and he managed to beat the boss but also die at the same time, which balked the game somewhat because then when he got back to that room, he couldn't beat the boss again and the game was never going to end. We are seeing one of the two best versions of the game here, though. The SNES and the Amiga were the top rated, the NES and the Game Boy slightly below. And while, yes, it did face numerous criticisms for basically just being another platformer, and there are definitely some aspects it really rips off Mario, it's very well executed, and the SNES version looks great. Even in this challenge in the portrait room, you've got all the other Adams in the background on the wall, and they're decent-looking sprite tile maps. They're decent-looking pictures. It feels like it fits with the franchise. Particularly because the franchise has had new life breathed into it thanks to the Baron Sonnefeld movie that was a huge, huge hit. Uh, And it was, I mean, it was everywhere. The Addams Family were back again. And man, you want to talk about a film that has aged really, really well. That Addams Family movie is terrific. Addams Family Values is also absolutely smashing. And both of them are, are great. And I think that the Adams family really can be held up as the best example of a lapsed TV show being reimagined for a new generation on the big screen. Like that and 21 Jump Street are the best examples of taking a TV concept and and putting enough of a new spin on it to make it its own property. I absolutely adored the Adams family movie. It was a challenging property to to bring back because the original cast was so iconic in the TV show. So when they came to make the film, they didn't short shrift us on the cast. They had Angelica Houston as Morticia Adams. She endured agony to play that role, not only for the costumes, but also they decided that her eyes needed to kind of point upwards a bit. And so she actually had parts of her face held under tension via a kind of strap that caused the points of her eyes to lift upwards. And also, yeah, she was in these immensely tight, restrictive, corseted outfits. It was an endurance. Raul Julia, in the uh, sadly last few years of his career here, as Gomez Adams. M. Bison himself. Of course! Yeah, but also making the character a little bit kind of colder, but making it his own. Christopher Lloyd, iconic actor, perfectly portraying a version of Uncle Fester, and a very young Christina Ricci as Wednesday Adams, who would go on and have a much bigger role in the second film. Yeah, she she was the star coming out of that movie, absolutely. And I, I remember at the time as well, lots of features around, I, I can't remember if it was for Adams Family or Adams Family Values, but lots of features around how they did thing, you know, and how they did this CGI hand that was running around the set. And I, I, I remember it being a big part of sort of like Saturday morning TV, like here's how they did it over in Hollywood. But we were between films at this point. Adams Family came out in 91. It would have been on the home video circuit at 
this point, and I imagine production was beginning to stir for Adam's Family Values. It yeah. would come out in 93, but uh, development processes being what they are, the studio must have already made the decision at this point. And for this challenge, we have our very own magnificent Morticia. Please welcome from Reading, Lisa. Welcome, Lisa. This is a rather splendid, multi-layered uh, affair you've got on here. Right now, Lisa, what attracted you to this Adams Family game? Uh, I think it's something to do with Morticia, actually. Yeah, yeah. You, I must admit, did you actually audition for a part in the film? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could have. Um, you, you've had a couple of practices. Uh, how's it been going? Um, not very well, but I'll give it a go. Well, I've certainly got more to say about the film than I do about this challenge. Uh, taking on this challenge is our own magnificent Morticia from Reading, my hometown. It's Lisa, who looks like she's rad. Like, she looks like you know, the character of Morticia. She loves the character Morticia. Dominic even thinks she could have applied for the role, but she's not confident in playing this game. I do not know where Lisa came from, other than Reading. I do not know how she found herself to be in the position of being on this challenge other than someone behind the scenes went, you're a goth. <laughs> yeah. Adam's family nailed it. There we go. That's fine. Because she says she doesn't feel that comfortable with this game. She doesn't look that comfortable with this game. And this may be the worst challenge of season two. Yeah, to skip to the end here, she takes two hits very early. She misses a heart that would have extended her life somewhat. And then she dies. Game over. She came... I didn't even think she got a single dollar sign. She came nowhere close to beating this challenge. Well, she did get a few dollar signs. She did because she collected some and then missed the heart that would have given right, her a bit yeah, of extra yeah. life. As was pointed out by Frank O'Connor, who joined Dominic in the commentary box, this is another case of there aren't enough dollar signs on the level. You have to find a secret room via a doorway. This is actually the Mario challenge redone. Yeah but with way more dire consequences. And it's 25 seconds, and the challenge is over. Well done, Lisa. Lisa, you, in fact, have broken the record for the fastest failure on Games Master. How do you feel? I'm a bit disappointed, but I gave it my best shot. Well, in special circumstances such as these, we must actually refer to Games Master for the ultimate verdict to see actually what is going to happen to you. So if you'd like to hang on, we'll just go over to the man now. I'm sorry, but that simply wasn't good enough. It's a banishment to the pit, I'm afraid. Well, it's goodbye, Lisa, of the many-layered skirts. Down to the nether regions of my platform she goes. Dominic says it's the quickest failure in Games Master history. Uh, and unfortunately, he's got to throw it to Games Master, who says that it wasn't good enough and she's off to the pit. And for some reason, there are now farm animals in the pit because there are some really, really weird noises. I think they're meant to be eldritch horrors or kraken, but it sounds like they've got a like a city farm down there, a petting zoo. Yeah, it's so weird because Dominic also said, goodbye, Lisa, of the many layered skirts, down to the nether regions of my platforms. While these bizarre animal noises play, it's quite eerie. It's quite bizarre. Now, by itself, this challenge feels pointless, misplaced, and even perhaps a little bit cruel. Because Lisa even says, I'm not really very good at the game. I don't think I've got very good chances. So it could be seen as being perhaps a little bit bullish. 
However, using our crystal balls, which are as hefty in weight as they are in power, excellent, we can glance into the future. This will not be the last that we hear of Lisa, for next week her fate will be decided. Although I do hope it's the last we hear of those farm animals, because... This series is weird enough as it is. I don't need that. Just making it even weirder. Yeah, I'm hoping next week that the farm animals will be gone and Auntie Marisha will have opened a Toby Carvery. <laughs> well, actually, it'd be nice. Well, even then, I can't eat the meat, can I? I just I don't want fish on the menu every week. I can't bloody eat it. This week, we gather around the nest of occasional tables and take a look at board games. First up, rummage around imitation leather sacks with Scrabble. One of the best things about Scrabble is that you can play against a computer. There are various skill levels, ranging from pretty good to the top level, which will whip your ass. It tops up all the scores like in the blink of an eye, so there's none of that double letter, triple word malarkey. It's all done for you. Scrabble is a computer game? What's the point? Well, at least you can't lose the pieces down the back of the sofa. Well, it's board games in the review zone this week with Ian Ross, who is one of the show's researchers. I did spot his name as I was scrubbing through the credits, along with Martin Pond from Sega Zone and C.U.J. Holmes from Megatech, which could be Cooge, I don't know. I mean, I've just written it down as C.U.J. I, I heard and kind of like in my head, I heard it as Cooge, mm. like kind of short for Cujo, because like he's a mad dog. <laughs> And this mad dog is going to give his thoughts on Scrabble for the Amiga. Dogs are terrible at Scrabble. <laughs> Ian says that it's good because you can play against the computer with the hardest setting whipping your ass. And Martin says that the game is good because it totals up the scores for you in a blink of an eye and you don't have to really do anything else. But Cooge says that it's a bit pointless, but at least you won't lose the pieces down the side of the sofa. A very respectable 80%. This is just one of many iterations of Scrabble on PC. The first actually goes way on way back to 1984 and that relic of a bygone age, the BBC Micro. <laughs> At some point before a 10-year-old computer started gathering dust and looking like a relic from the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> Reference to our Bad Influence episode there where it honestly looked like something that had been in a vault for 250 years. But this wouldn't be obviously the last iteration of Scrabble. Scrabble has existed on many other platforms right up until present day, or if you play it on Facebook, Words with Friends, which is essentially just Scrabble by a different name and a few slight tile changes. It's a timeless game. I love Scrabble. I'm not that great at Scrabble, though. I've played it... Um, when did I last play it? I did play it over a couple of Christmases. We had a Christmas in Sweden uh, a few years back with my family, and we played it then, and that exposed me as not being very good at it. And then I played it again another couple of Christmases ago with my in-laws, and I did very, very poorly on that. But in my defense, I did also have five titles, which were two E's, two U's, and a J. Not even a C, so you couldn't say cooch. No. <laughs> no. I'm okay at Scrabble I have moments of utter sh and I have moments of brilliance I've got that kind of like that mythical full spread with an extra letter on the end and a 50 point bonus they don't happen often but I think all that time watching Countdown has definitely helped <laughs> my uh, my word generating ability next up Norsemen with abundant horns and dodgy facial growths in Ragnarok it's based on the ancient board game The King's Table, which apparently is about three million years old, so it's obviously been seriously playtested. The concept is very similar to chess. The main difference is that the board is a lot bigger, and one side has a lot more pieces than the other. It may disappoint hardened D&D fans who just buy it for the picture of the Viking on the box, but if I just add on a personal note that Ragnarok 
I love you very much. Up next, we've got Ragnarok on the PC and Amiga. It's based on the board game The King's Table, which apparently is three million years old, with Cooge thinking that D&D players are going to be disappointed because they'll buy it for the artwork, but he loves it. Another very respectable score of 84%. I'm not sure it's quite three million years old. (laughs) No. (laughs) But it is old, and it's a game that, again, there have been multiple iterations of. I think even... This version, which is also known as The Legend of Ragnarok, got recent re-releases on Steam and good old games and similar. And it's a good game. It's a fun tactical game. It fits into that same kind of area as chess. And yes, one of our reviewers does profess his love for the game. Finally, on CDTV, while away those Christmas dinners with Uncle Kenneth's favourite adult pastime, Trivial Pursuit. Roll the dice. It's got digitised pictures, digitised speech, digitised sound digitized smell it's just got everything it's complete sensory overload this may be a slightly more interesting way for kids to gain more general knowledge than clicking through an encyclopedia but personally i got bored after five minutes it's not very well implemented and quite frankly i had more fun playing the board game oh hi there big boy and lastly on cdtv we've got trivial pursuit it's got digitized sounds digitized graphics and even digitized smells uh with cooch thinking it's going to be good for kids because they might be a bit more interactive with it but ian had more fun playing the actual game and then it ends this little section ends with a graphic of a penguin getting flirted on by a lady in purple 68 percent hi there big boy i think this entire review section could be summed up as a lady flirting with a penguin (laughs) we're not sure why it happened we're not sure what the lead up to it was but there was maybe one game that was noteworthy in this and i'd argue that that was the trivial pursuit game of all things because uh, legends of ragnarok it's an old game turned into a computer format but It's got some shiny presentation, but it doesn't really try and do anything that new, at least as portrayed in the review. Scrabble, it's Scrabble. Trivial Pursuit was taking that burgeoning CD-ROM technology, and it was ham-fisting it, but it was trying it. And also, I'd completely forgotten about the Commodore CD-TV up until this point. I know, right? Now I can't forget about it, and I wish I could. Now it's time for this week's feature, and with Christmas penny pinchingly close, the battle lines are drawn up for the clash of the 16-bit consoles. In the black corner, weighing in at 17 pounds, the Sega Mega Drive, starring Sonic, Road Rash, and Tasmania. In the grey and grey corner, it's a new kid on the block, the Super NES, aided and abetted by Super Mario, Super Tennis, and Street Fighter 2. Three top journals give their views. The Nintendo machine wins out quite easily due to the fact that it has around about 31,500 more colours available than the Sega. SNES, fantastic graphics and it can do all the arcade trickery, taking pictures of universes, folding them, spinning them, zooming in. Mega Drive can't. When there are a lot of sprites on the screen, the processing system of the Super NES can't cope with them all and slows down. The Mega Drive processing chip is a lot faster and can cope with more things on screen at a time. A machine is no good without the games to play on it, and the Mega Drive comes out top tier. You don't get half as much on the SNES, but maybe you will on the Mega Drive. There's absolutely tons and tons. Mega Drive, everything's a little bit cheaper. With the Mega Drive, you can buy a Master System converter, which will let you play any Master System game on your Mega Drive. You can't play NES games on your Super Nintendo. Shop around, see which machine has the 
games that you most like to play and go for that machine. Well, the fact is that I've been stupid enough to have a tattoo done and the tattoo is the name of the machine of the Mega Drive and the SNES which I think is the better of the two. And here's what I think is the best. Ooh. SNES. Just. If I were you, I'd buy both. I have. But while I thought that that review section was a bit pant, I did love the feature that we've got here, the 16-bit wars. Uh, I mean, you're pulling a face there a little bit. Were you not keen on this? I thought it was arse. <laughs> I quite enjoyed it, really. This is Games Master looking at the Sega Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo and in a very broad scope, kind of talking about which one you should be getting in the lead up to Christmas. In the black corner, we've got the Sega Mega Drive with Sonic, Road Rash and Tasmania. And in the grey on grey corner, it's the SNES, which has got Super Mario World, Super Tennis and Street Fighter 2, which... I mean, that's a tasty little trio of games there to compete against Sonic Road Rash and Tasmania. It's not a bad lineup on both sides. I think the reason I pulled a face and the reason why I'm not big on this feature is this feature is, even by Games Master standards, completely pointless. <laughs> yeah. We are judging these consoles on three categories. First up, graphics. Hmm. Now, Paul Rand says the SNES wins easily because it's got all the Super Mode 7 sprite scaling, twisting, twirling, all that jazz. But then Counterpoint, Jackie points out that the Mega Drive can actually deal with more sprites on screen without suffering slowdown. Through its blast processing. The Sega Genesis has blast processing. Super Nintendo doesn't. Always love a bit <laughs> of blast processing. Cleans me right out. <laughs> But so we can take from that that the conclusion on graphics is inconclusive. Both have pros, both have cons. Yeah. There is no decisive winner, really. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. You've got to look at both sides of the arguments. I mean, OK, maybe. But then we move on to the next category, which is games. Yeah. Paul Rand picks the Mega Drive. He says that it's got more games and Duncan says they're also cheaper. Which is fair. But that's because the Mega Drive has been out for how much longer than the SNES? Well, over a year at this point. Moving on for two years, I think. So it's not actually a balanced comparison? No, but I think if you're a parent, like I imagine the reason why my parents got me a Sega Mega Drive way back when was because there were a lot of games on offer. It was one of the big things that, that Sega were touting, that it had this huge library of games, a lot of which were available quite cheap. It rankles me because it's a fluff piece, but it's an unbalanced fluff piece. Mm -hmm. If I was comparing it... The graphics one, okay, leave as it is, pros and cons. The games, compare the releases of the three or four months leading up to Christmas. I mean, yeah, SNES wins hands down, to be honest with you, like outside mm, of Sonic, Sonic 2 Sonic Two and Streets of Rage 2. But when you have got the excellent library that the SNES started with and were continues to release in the lead up to Christmas, like Link to the Past, Mario Kart uh, and the like, like SNES had an incredible start to this race. It did. They got off to a cracking start and a lot of the titles that really pushed them ahead were first-party titles. Yeah. Nintendo, I think, for a long time has been better at first-party titles than Sega were. Totally. Sega spent a lot of time dicking around with Alex Kidd before they got Sonic. Uh, and then with the, in terms of accessories, Jackie points out that you can get a Master System converter, which allows you to play your Master System games on your Mega Drive with shots of Speedball 2 that we saw last week. But you cannot play NES games on your SNES, which, as we discussed last week, was a big niggling point for a lot of parents. But by highlighting an accessory that's only available on one platform, 
is it a fair comparison? Well, there's not a alternative version on the SNES. I think that's the point they were making. At least there wasn't currently. But it's also only good if you actually own the previous system. Yeah, I mean, that's why Jackie then says you need to shop around and see which system works for you, which is a cop-out answer. I mean, really... Duncan is the only person that actually makes a detailed pick here. Bearing in mind, this is Duncan from Sega Zone picks the Super Nintendo. By writing it on his head in Sharpie. Yeah. And then Paul Rand quite cockily says, you should buy both, because I have. Oh, check out little rich boy reviewer here. I know. I know, that, that one actually made me laugh because, man, he looks so goddamn smug. <laughs> he, he does. But no, I don't mind this Sega versus Nintendo feature because you know what? Even though I did go down the Super Nintendo route, I'm sure at this point I was still umming and ahhing as to my loyalties. But in hindsight, I look at this feature and I'm thinking, it's not lightweight enough to just be a fluff piece. It's not in-depth enough to actually be meaningful. It kind of half asses it. And I think that's why I pulled the face, because the comparisons are either inconclusive or unbalanced. And realistically, at the end of the day... You only get one person making a solitary decision. Other people are either indecisive or little rich boy over there. <laughs> yeah. Did you know anyone that owned both? Oh, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. I mean, I knew a, I knew a couple of kids that were pretty loaded, and even they only had one. I mean, admittedly, he then went on to also own the Super Scope. <laughs> right. So clearly parents with more money in the sense, but still enough sense to not buy him both consoles. And it's weird how that shifted because now owning both of a generation or all three of a generation is not that unusual. Yeah. I was going to say, I think I'm probably in the minority here that I only own one of them. Yeah, but you also get to play on the other one of those at your work. Eh, true enough, I suppose, yeah. You have access to them. I do have access to them, although in, when I am at work, I'm more likely to play the uh, the mini SNES. Uh, speaking of which, the basic package is £109, or with Super Mario World for £129, with Street Fighter 2 for £159, or with that big old Super Scope, also for £159. And between those two, if you had 160 quid to spare, and you got the Super Scope and not the Street Fighter one, you'd be gutted. You would... Also, I do not remember seeing a standalone Super Nintendo without a game at this point. It was Mario Pack or above. Yeah. Same with the Mega Drive. You can get that with Sonic the Hedgehog for £129, with Sonic and Streets of Rage for £149, with Olympic Gold for £129, or with the Menacer for £149.99. The double pack of Sonic and Streets of Rage there is easily the best value of the Sega packages and I would argue actually at that time probably the most bang for your buck out of either of them. I may be a Nintendo guy at that point in time but to know that you would have a Mega Drive and Sonic and Streets of Rage that's a potent Christmas. It is although if I can give some advice to the parents of 1992 when it comes to buying these machines my advice would be to go for the standard Sonic pack of £129.99 and then spending what I would imagine would have been 30, 35, maybe 40 quid extra to get Mega Games 2, because that does come with Streets of Rage, but also comes with Golden Axe. Multicarts was something that Nintendo never really dabbled in. Sega did a couple of different collections, and they're good ways to get some slightly older AAA titles. Yeah, 
So they're really nice. Now, unless you've had your head buried in a lavatory basin for the last four weeks, you should know the most pant-wettingly brilliant day out in history is nearly upon us. Yes, it's only three weeks until Games Master Live at the Birmingham NEC on 4th, 5th and 6th of December. Even yours truly has got leave from the Games Master Resort to host all manner of games playing challenges, just like the ones you've seen on TV. So, if you think you can do better than the poor deluded fools you see every week on the show, here's your chance to prove how potent your game-playing virility really is. We'll even be staging a special challenge on Sonic 2. Once again, the dates, 4th, 5th and 6th of December, the place, the Birmingham NEC. To boot, call the box office on 0217804133 and Games Master Club members get cropping discounts. And unless you've had your head buried in a lavatory basin, we are only three weeks away from Games Master Live, which means we are only three weeks away from our bonus episode on Games Master Live. So do get your memories from that event in feedback at underconsultation.com. We want to hear from you, whether that's written down or as an MP3. I don't know what the pre-sales were like. I imagine they'd be pretty good because Games Master's ratings were pretty good. But there is almost a note of desperation to some of these little linking materials. It, it's that kind of real hard sell that always sets me on edge slightly. And I'm saying that as someone that's run events the way I've had to go for the hard sell because numbers have been awful. <laughs> I mean, what piqued my interest for this one is that there will be a special challenge on Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Using that same secret level that apparently only bad influence know about. They lied to us. They lied. Or Games Master has spies. Or it could be. Well, it's time for our celebrity challenge, so let's head on over to Games Master to find out what we're playing. Hello there. I think we're going to have a lot of fun on this next escapade. The game is Space Pirates. As an intergalactic marshal, armed with a simple laser gun, your assignment is to rescue a group of innocent colonists being held hostage by a band of decidedly unsavory ruffians. Are they following your progress with interest? Yes, the black. And it's another one of those American laser type games. Same deal as usual. You go through the pre filmed things you shoot the people try not to get killed this did not inspire me with a lot of like excitement i mean you say same deal as usual i say there's one big difference for this game which is uh space pirates this game looks like oh it looks awful yeah like really bad mad dog mccree they filmed in a western set it looked like a western who shot johnny rock it looked pretty good it, it looked period appropriate this thing now I love shaky 1970s and 1980s science fiction. I'm a big Doctor Who fan. I love Blake 7. This makes Blake 7 look expensive. Yeah. This is this is awful. This just looks bad. <laughs> and the people that make this game should feel bad <laughs> and for crimes against science fiction as a genre. And joining us for this intergalactic gentleman's excuse me is one of the biggest stars from Neighbours. So please give a warm Antipodean welcome to the James Dean of Ramsey Street, Christian Schmidt. Hello, Christian. Now, now, Christian, I know. Thank you. Okay, now, now you're a bit of a games player yourself, are you not, Christian? Yeah, I've got the Sega Game Gear at home and the Nintendo Game Boy. Yeah. Uh, I saw you practicing this a little bit. How, how do you fancy your chances at this intergalactic shoot them up? Well, I'm not so sure. I'll see how I go though. And trying to get through this game, it's the James Dean of Ramsey Street, Christian Schmid, uh, who is a gamer. He's got both the Game Gear and the Game Boy. Check out little rich actor here, man. <laughs> Neighbors money. Yeah, I say this episode is all about people batting for both sides of the console war. <laughs> uh, but he's not confident playing this and I mean yeah this is our second person from Neighbours he played Todd Landers in the show 
1992, which means that he was likely off the show again by the time that this episode airs. Second time that has happened to us here on Under Consultation. But really, he's not here to promote Neighbours. He's here to promote his new show, which is going to be starting on ITV. Yeah, part of CITV, a uh, resurrection of the 1970s show The Tomorrow People. Now, I didn't watch much Neighbours at this point, but I did watch The Tomorrow People, so I remember him from that. Mm. And there were three seasons, maybe four? Yeah, I, I forget. mean, there were three series that ran for 26 episodes. But they were shorter seasons compared to what we think of as now as a standard season the first season i think was just a four-part story but i remember that because it was science fiction a kind of what i considered prime time yeah i mean doctor who had been off the air for three years at this point there wasn't really much british science fiction so i loved the tomorrow people and i was quite happy to see him back and it's also made me go yeah i need to go and rewatch that 90s tomorrow people see how it fared because they did away with a lot of the stuff from the 70s but they took the show in their own direction and i remember loving it it's really funny when you do some research into these sorts of shows because we are more aware now of american television and the way that american television have their shows and you know the fact that they have series runs or season runs of usually 20 to 24 episodes whereas the standard british one is to only do six which seems quite small fry by comparison so when you sort of do these things you look at the tomorrow people ran for three series and had 26 episodes which is nearly you know it's just over one season of an american tv show and this came up quite recently when the vicar of dibley is now on netflix and everyone is astounded to see that that show was on the air for like 13 years but there are only about 25 episodes of the entire thing. That is not enough for syndication. Americans <laughs> just blow their minds. I know a lot of Americans that came to Doctor Who with the reboot in uh, 2005, and even they were like, why is it only 10 to 13 episodes? And I'm like, you really do not understand how British television production works. Unless you are the Bill yeah. or, or soap opera or something like that, you're not doing 20 season runs. I mean, the fact that Games Master in this season we're at now ran for 20 plus episodes is mind-boggling yeah totally but while this is our second neighbors actor i do feel much more empathy for this guy because yes while he is off of neighbors he's already got his next vehicle lined up he's on a four-year work visa to the uk and he's gonna make the most of it also mild spoilers he turned on neighbors <gasps> did he yeah 2016 or so he started appearing in home and away <gasps> no turncoat bastard <laughs> he was also in the Scooby-Doo movie. Yeah. So sod him. <laughs> if you want to see whether Christian Schmidt can bring some Antipodean authority to bear upon the space pirates, join us after the break. I ordered breakfast done. Kellogg's cornflakes. You don't like them? Oh, I do. Kellogg's cornflakes, delicious flakes of corn drenched in ice cold milk. I really do. Actually, I do. Don't eat them if you don't want them. Oh, I want them. You don't. I do. Kellogg's cornflakes. Have you forgotten how good they taste? Now for the Super Nintendo. Set your sights on the Nintendo scope. It's the ultimate in ballistic excitement. Remote powered and laser accurate. Precise to a single television pixel. It's got six great games that will blast you into the Super Nintendo like never before. 
Hit the target with a Super Nintendo action pack, including console, scope, and six games. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We hope you're enjoying this week's episode of Under Consultation. Our £5 backers over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod have already heard it and are now listening to next week's show, which has that follow-up to Lisa's Adam's Family Challenge. And our backers at the £10 level will get an amazing merch pack in their first month of pledging, which has some super sweet designs that Ash has worked really hard on. We want to thank you for downloading and listening to our little show, and if you support us that little bit more, you will remove this annoying bit of the show so backers over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod Campbell's condensed ham and cheese soup tastes absolutely delicious and because it's the only concentrated soup you can put it in a carbonara Campbell's condensed perfect as a soup Perfect as a cooking ingredient. Welcome back to Games Master, where everybody's favourite Australian heartthrob, Christian Schmidt, is about to tackle the intergalactic terrors of space pirates. And boarding me amidships for this challenge is CVG's Tim Boone. Welcome, Tim. Hello again, Dominic. Now, Tim, uh, Christian was looking pretty sharp in practice. Any other tips you can give him? He's a bit of a sharpshooter, isn't he? Well, basically, he's now a star ranger, which means he's got licence to kill. Uh, all the space pirates he can. Basically, just shoot as many as he can, but for God's sake, don't hit the hostages. Okay, so the challenge is Christian has to free all of the hostages to win tonight's challenge. So, Christian, are you ready? Yes. Then come out blazing. We've got Tim Boone from CVG in the booth. He said the Christian's been good in practice, and you've got to shoot as many people as you can, but do not shoot the hostages. Uh, so, we, yeah, there's not really a lot to say about this game. Dominic Diamond says that it's got more dry ice than Games Master. And <laughs> a little bit of a fourth wall break there, Dom. I mean, just like ruin the illusion you've been building up by trying to persuade people that this is a holiday <laughs> camp and you are a red coat. You know, he gets through this, doesn't get hit at all. He then gets shot once during this sequence and that basically wipes him out. And he's got an energy bar. 
and it takes him right down to one health. What's the point of having the f***ing energy bar? You may as well just have two bits of life. I hate it when games do that, where they're just like, no, you've got an energy bar but it goes in two hits. Well, then I don't really have an energy bar, do I? He does pretty well, but I think one of the things that undoes him is he's playing this game like he's an actor. Yeah. Realistically, playing these games, as you and me have done when we uh, when we were filming the Patreon thing, you hold that gun out and you shoot. Whereas every time he runs out of enemies, he's returning it to the bond position. He's ready. <laughs> he's yeah. ready for his close-up. And unfortunately, the times he, the first time he dies is because he didn't have the gun ready. Energy level is getting critical. And an old man shouts at him that his energy level is critical, so Christian just shouts at him back. Shoots him off the screen with his gun, which I thought was a lovely little bit. (laughs) That made me proper chuckle. Uh, So he has to do the stage all over again, but he gets the guy this time that killed him uh, in the first run, but gets shot by someone else, and their challenge is over. (laughs) No! Okay, thank you! Thank you very much. Now, Christian, you were tearing through that with relative ease. You just came a bit unstuck at the end. What happened? Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't hear whether I was supposed to shoot the blue or the yellow light. And, oh, well. <laughs> now, listen, Christian, you've been getting in a little practice recently. You've got a new, a new show that you've just been doing. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, we're doing um, Tomorrow, The Tomorrow People, which is a remake um, of the old 70s program. Uh, we're doing five episodes of that at the moment, so it's oh. it's, it's good fun. Uh, Dominic says that he came unstuck. Christian says that he couldn't hear if he had to shoot the blue or yellow lasers at the end. Bloody typical actor, can't follow direction. And this is where he gives his plug for The Tomorrow People, a remake of the old 70s show, which he calls good fun. Well, yes, it was another American laser game, and yes, this is now the third American laser game I think we so, had. Yeah. And they are all kind of the same. I kind of enjoyed this one in spite of the fact that it's the worst looking one because this is a case of throw some fairy lights and wire and we'll call it science fiction. But I actually thought he did pretty well. It felt like he was there not to be ridiculed. Whereas my namesake, he was the punching bag du jour. Oof, wasn't he just? Plus Christian did go on to have a career, had a good four years over here in the UK on a work visa and yeah, still appears to be out there working now. Good on him. Just before we get out of this and dive into the consultation zone, because uh, I don't think there's any other chance we'd ever talk about this sort of thing. But uh, recently, at the time of this recording, we just heard the news of the passing of John Lafia, who was the co-writer for the first Child's Play movie with Don Mancini, wrote the screenplay for it. He also directed Child's Play 2. And Child's Play 2 is like, it's my favorite of the franchise. And I absolutely love the, the Child's Play series. It's one of my favorites. And I was just going through his credits just to see what he had done. He directed for sega one of these light gun games he directed corpse killer do you know what when i saw about his passing and i was going to look through his imdb and his wikipedia because i knew child's play and child's play 2 i saw your tweet about it my brain was going but what else did he do because he did work on a number of different things he had a quite varied credit and i remember seeing corpse killer and going ah corpse killer is actually a good chunk of fun yeah yeah it's not bad it's not great (laughs) But it's not bad. Hello, Games Master. Hello, and just what is your particular problem? On level two of the Immortal, I cannot work out which order the three gems go into the three circles. Can you tell me, please? No. (laughs) Only joking. You'll be aware by now that each circle has four indents in it. Place a gem on the right of the left circle, on the left of the middle circle, and in the middle of the right circle. A trapdoor should then open, allowing you access to level three. Thanks a lot. 
Well, our first kid in the consultation zone is stuck on level two of the immortal. He can't work out which order the gemstones go in, so Games Master says that he can't help him. Only joking, you've got to place one on the right of the left circle, the left of the centre circle, and the centre of the right circle, and that will open up a trapdoor to level three. Obvious. God, why did he even need to ask about that? (laughs) Hello, Games Master. I've heard there's an invincibility cheat on James Pond 2 Robocod. Could you tell me what it is? That's what I'm here for. As soon as the game starts, walk right until you see the Arctic Toys sign. Above the boards, you'll see a number of objects, which you should collect in the following order. First the cake, then the hammer, then the earth, then the apple, and finally the clamp. The first letters of these objects, collected in that order, spell the word cheat. And you are now totally invincible. Thanks a lot. Our second kid would like to know the invincibility code for James Pond's 2, codename Robocod, which is the second time this has come up in this... Is it in this series this has come up, the uh, James Pond 2 cheat? I think we had one a couple of episodes ago, didn't we? We've definitely had another uh, James Pond cheat. This is a different cheat, but it's the same system, which is collecting objects in a certain order so the first letters spell out a word. In this case, it's cape, hammer, earth, apple tap to spell out the word cheat and boom you're invincible yeah good stuff i like james pond hello games master what can i do for you how can i win the drinking contest on monkey island 2 the trick here is to good lord how terribly upsetting rust can be such a problem out here on the rig no matter i'll have it repaired in a jiffy as i was saying the trick here is to find some alcohol free near grog Captain Kate has the only available supply, so you need to get it off her. Put her picture over the top of your wanted poster on Fat Island and wait for her to be arrested in your place. Go into the jail and take the near dog from her manila envelope. Finally, return to Rum Rogers Cottage and swap the real dog with the alcohol-free variety. You should now have no trouble winning the contest. Thanks a lot. And our third kid doesn't know how to win the drinking contest on Monkey Island 2, which has also come up a couple of times on this show. Gamesmaster then has some rust issues and part of his set falls apart. He had a bit. He had a comedy bit. Yeah. It was quite a weird placement for him. So he just starts talking again and we then get the information, which is essentially you need to frame another pirate so she gets arrested so you can steal her alcohol-free grog and then use it in the drinking competition, so essentially the other guy gets rat asked, you stay sober, boom, you win the drinking competition. Classic LucasArts logic. Love it. Yeah, you're absolutely right as well. I mean, we get three examples of Games Master having a bit of a laugh in this one because he plays a psych out game with the first kids and then has this bit where part of his set falls apart. And then in the introduction to the third challenge, talks about bothersome seagulls and does an owl impression. <laughs> This is Patrick Moore recording session after lunch. <laughs> yeah, totally. And on that note, let's find out what that challenge is from Uncle Games Master. To finish off the evening's proceedings, I've chosen a game called Agony. You will need to guide the elegant sprite, a white owl that bears an uncanny resemblance to the gulls that occasionally pester me out here on the rig, through the game's atmospheric first level without losing life. Keep your wits about you. So we are playing Agony. You need to guide a white owl, which bears a resemblance to those bothersome seagulls out here on the rig, and you've got to get through the first level without losing a life. 
do you know what? I've seen a lot of owls and I've seen a lot of seagulls. I've never seen an owl and gone, fuck me, that looks like a seagull. <laughs> and that's including in this game because this game actually looks beautiful. Yeah, it looks nice, right? The the levels of scrolling, the separation of the background, the sprites are huge. It's the first game this episode which I've seen and gone, I want to play that. And it's, you know, it's a simple R-type style scrolling shooter. Dominic Diamond thinks that it's a doddle. So he throws it out to the audience to get three contestants for this. And we get, uh, he calls one kid too ugly and then picks out a kid wearing a Games Master t-shirt, one in a Luminous shirt and a kid in a lime green t-shirt. And so it's two children and one fully grown adult. The girl is Angela from Wantage. Jack is from Lightwater. His favorite game is Sonic, smart kid. And the grown man is Rashbar from Leicester, whose favorite game is Lotus 2. Rashbar is essentially the same height as the other two put one on top the other oh yeah you think it might give him a bit of an advantage you'd be wrong and joining me for this flight of feathered fancy is tom watson from renegade hello tom good evening Dominic. now tom none of our competitors have played this game before it's sight unseen what tips can you give them best to keep back to the left not to go too low fish will rise from the water but you know not to worry about the backgrounds okay tom watson from renegade gives us the good advice that you know none of these people have played this game this is their first time going through but all you've got to do is stick to the left not go too low and jack is up first and he listens to that advice very very intently and he stays in the top left corner for the majority of this run very very smart play because in this game unlike our type or some of those other side scrollers you don't generally get enemies coming from behind which is a relief before we get in too far into the challenge itself do you want to hear the plot for this game because it is bonkers please lay it on me because there's no real backstory in the game but it has a manual and as we know from various other games manuals have free writ to do whatever they want so the sun wizard master acanthropsis discovers the cosmic power but it has a toll on his life before dying he teaches it to his disciples alestes and mentor Alestes has been transformed into a barn owl and has to pass through mentors' traps and monsters in order to reach the cosmic power. That is proper swords and fantasy and doesn't actually explain why the hell one of his apprentices has been turned into a barn owl. (laughs) No. But I like that they managed to come up with trappings as to why this game is what it is, but it does not explain why it's called Agony. No. Uh, well, poor old Jack suffers some agony because he goes away from his tactic of staying to the left, jumps to the right and dies. That struck me as a really weird thing to do. Why do you just suddenly... He, he skadoons to the top right-hand corner, oh, yeah. which is where most of the enemies are coming from. It, it, there's a thing down at the bottom that clearly freaked him out and it just sort of made him just jump ahead. And the only reason I could think that it made him, it freaked him out is because Angela does the exact same thing. Like Angela's run is almost identical to Jack's. I have a theory. It's not quite foil hat, but it is a little bit conspiratorial. I reckon they did get a bit of prepping. They didn't get to play it, but they were told exactly what they'd been told before, stay to the top left, and also warned that there is an enemy that will occupy the majority of the bottom of the screen Mm. and he will vomit enemies up at you because Rashpal gets far enough along that we see him vomiting these enemies upwards. And at that point, that's the point when you want to be on the front right. Yeah. So they were following direction. They were just following it too early. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's why they both made the same mistake. Yeah, because Angela, you know, she's more in the centre, then gets up to the top left, but dies in the exact same position as Jack. So it's all up to our boy Rashpal uh, here in the last. And he's a bit braver, but he's not smarter. I think he's playing this game with a bit more recklessness to the point where he makes Dominic Diamond say, oh my word, twice. He's got these snappers, oh my word! He very nearly got... Well, he ran it a bit close there, so early in the level. He's getting a wee bit confident, and he made me say, oh my word, again. Which I only do when I'm very, very excited. Because you can't say the word f*** at 6.30 on Channel 4. Uh, so he doesn't get killed by the same creature as the other two, but does get killed in basically the exact same spot because, as you say, he got trapped by this creature that spits things up and surrounds him. So no one wins. And in fact, no one won at all on this episode. This is a triple loss situation. I think it's our first. I think it is our first. The last challenge had the potential to be a lot more entertaining and at least the game looked and sounded great. It's a beautiful looking game. I wish we'd seen a bit more of it. Oh, well. But, thank you. Bad luck, everyone. That was uh, quite close at the end there. Now, let's go to you first, Jack. You started us off there. You got quite far. Then what happened? It's just a bit too hard to Just a wee bit too hard for you, Jack. Okay, you were followed then by Angela. Angela, for someone who doesn't play a lot of games, you did very well. What, what happened in the end, though? I forgot that the... Um things come up and killed you. Never mind, you did very well. Now, Rashpal, Tom and I up in the comedy box, we thought you were going to do it. So what's your excuse? I was unlucky, that's all I've got to say. You're unlucky. Poor old Jack says the game was just a bit too hard for him. And this is where I, where I got my idea that things have been prepped a bit because Angela says that she forgot those things came up and killed you. Yeah. Which indicates either they had played it and it wasn't a blind play challenge or they were given a few hints and tips. Uh, and Rashbal says that he just wasn't looking and got unlucky. So yeah, no one won. And as you say, like it's it's good that the game looked nice because the challenge because everyone dies at almost the exact same moment it's not the most thrilling of challenges it's not like there was any real advancements in, mm. in any of the plays it reminded me a little bit of the uh james pond challenge that we had back in series one it's not as bad as zoom but it's uh, it's very reminiscent of the james pond challenge nothing's as bad as zoom <laughs> that's a low bar it's going to take us a while to drop under <laughs> a rather unfulfilling climax for this week's show but something to look forward to Auntie Mauritius been experimenting again. Tonight we've got gefilte fish balls. So, while I leap into those, it just remains for me to say good night. Well, with the three competitors sent back to the masses, Dominic Diamond bemoans a rather unfulfilling climax to the show. Hello. Yeah, I know. But there is something to look forward to. Gefilte fish balls. Auntie mm. Mauritius been experimenting again? Well, they are apparently made from a poached mixture of ground deboned fish such as carp, whitefish or pike. Hmm. Now, hang on, for the most part, two out of three of those are freshwater fish. Where the hell are they getting those on a rig in the middle of the sea? <laughs> getting them shipped in. Uh, so Dominic said that he's going to leap into those and say goodnight. Yeah, I mean, just before we came in to record this one, we both did say that we were a bit down on this episode. And it's not just that no one wins. It's just, it's, I don't think it's a particularly great episode. I didn't, the first challenge is a complete bust. Poor old Lisa, I don't blame her for that. I feel she had no control over her own destiny. Like that there was some... <laughs> Machiavellian force or master of puppets <laughs> behind the scenes. Or a pastor of Muppets. Or indeed a pastor of Muppets. No, wait, 
Jim Jim was dead. Jim Henson had passed away. <laughs> oh no, yeah, you're before right. Before this point, we get to talk about Jim soon as well, actually, because I think um, Muppets Christmas Carol's number one of the box office in a couple of weeks. So we'll get to talk about that then. Oh mate, that could always be a separate episode in itself. <laughs> Love that film. So, yeah, so I, I, you know, the, the the first challenge didn't really work, and I, I didn't really get on with the review zone either. I thought the review section was quite boring. The 16-bit wars feature is incredibly flawed. The celebrity challenge isn't particularly interesting. The consultation zone is fine. And the third challenge doesn't really leave a lot to be desired. I think it's quite a bad episode. It is, although I do like how you've turned around on the 16-bit comparison because you were quite positive going into it and I wore you down. <laughs> well, I, I liked it in the sense that it's fun to talk about the two different consoles, but it's it, I had the same thing with the uh, Super Nintendo feature that we had back in Series 1. I enjoyed it because they were just talking about the console, but really, if you break it down, it's not that great. And not that great is just a good phrase to describe this episode. It just feels like scrag ends of challenges slapped together. Yeah. The best challenge is the celebrity challenge, and it's not because it's that great. For me, at least, it's the nostalgia of seeing this guy from a TV show that I used to really like. It's the same as last week with Gladiators. The challenge itself is pish, but the celebrities, that elevates it up. And unfortunately, I imagine the Tomorrow People connection only exists for me and is a complete zero <laughs> for you. I think it might be. I don't remember the show, to be honest. But what are you thinking scoring-wise for this? episodes i'm gonna go low on this one i'm at 57 percent. oh i was at 54 i'm glad that we were in the same sort of ballpark i was a bit concerned that i was going to be too low i almost went below 50 but then the tomorrow people thing plus agony is a very pretty looking game yeah definitely highlighting what the amiga can be capable of even in the face of competition from the super nintendo so that poked it up a little bit because also that's a game i now want to go off and play so I'm, I'm going to stick with 57. I am really hoping that episode nine gives us a bit more of a boost. Yeah, I think this is our first bad episode of series two. And we had like a pretty dull one a couple of episodes back, but this was just the first flat out bad episode. Uh, and I, I did not enjoy it much. Which is a shame because some of the highlights was a slightly cheekier Games Master having a bit of fun, having a little bit. Yeah. But a little bit of spice can't save a very, very bland dish overall. Exactly. But that is going to bring us to a close for this week's episode of Under Consultation. You can find us on Twitter at UnderConsolePod and over on the old Instagram at Under.Console. And if you want to hear next week's episode one week early and ad-free, you can do so by going to Patreon.com forward slash UnderConsolePod and backing at the £5 level. Indeed. And if you decide to go a little bit higher than that and back us at the £10 level, you will get a merch pack, some items of which will not be available via any other means. And by the time we're speaking, that merch pack should be well into production and we oh. should be getting items from all different places. And you know it's going to be good stuff because there are items that we're making that I want. Yeah, they're really cool. Really, yeah. really nice. You've done an amazing work on those. I've, I've tried to make it a little bit special and come up with a new design and not just slap our logo on a mug. If you're already a Patreon backer, you'll have seen what that looks like. So hopefully those mugs will be dropping through your post box sometime soon, ready and willing to receive a steaming flow of liquid. <laughs> Very nice. <That's> no. A... <laughs> <laughs> well, we're off to the canteen to avoid those fish balls, and we'll see you again in seven days' time. Take care. Good night.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.